Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter three, the night bus. Harry was several streets away before he collapsed onto a low wall in Magnolia Crescent, panting from the effort of dragging his trunk. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, before we jump into the episode, we just want to remind people about our like truly fantastic Patreon. We are so grateful to all of our patrons. You all make this podcast happen and our bloopers and our bonus conversations are fantastic, especially recently, if you listened to Matt interviewing his son, Danny, about some Harry Potter things, you will get to hear eight-year-old Danny call Harvard professor Matt stupid. And it's really fun. To be, to be more precise, he says that my stupid will always be inside me. It's, it's a, <laughs> the little treasure that I will keep forever inside myself. That's what he said. So to hear other amazing things like that, go to patreon.com slash Harry Potter sacred text. Matt, do you have a story for us on the theme of effort? Yeah. Speaking of the stupid being inside me. So <laughs> I have a confession, Vanessa. Please. I believe that I was never a more disciplined student than I was in 11th and 12th grade. Like that is when I think I studied the most consistently, diligently, rigorously, and committedly was when I was a junior and senior in high school. And I did pretty well, right? I did well, and I was, I was good at most subjects, and I got to go to the college I wanted to go to, and that was fine. And 
there was a big drop off in effort when I got to college. I think I've been working so hard to, to get into college that when I got to college, I needed a new motivation or rationale for my work. And I didn't really have one because I was already where I had been working so hard to be for so long, right? When I was a sophomore in college, I was taking calculus because it was a required course. The first half of the class covered stuff I'd already taken in high school. So I was like, this is easy. This class will be super simple for me. So I decided after going to class for about a week, I decided that Wednesdays would just be my morning off. This class meant Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I decided Wednesday morning, you know, I'm working hard. I, I need a rest. I need a break. Why go to yeah. class three days a week when one could only yeah. go to class two days a week? So one week I couldn't make it on a Friday. So I decided, well, I don't want to be irresponsible. I'll go Monday, Wednesday this week. This is towards the end of the semester. It's almost Thanksgiving or something. And I decided to go on a Wednesday. And the instructor started handing out quizzes. And, and I said, I turned to the student next to me, who's a person I didn't know. I was like, oh, what's this? He's like, it's our weekly Wednesday quiz that we've been taking all semester. And I was like, I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> and and uh, I did very poorly in that class. That was the worst grade I've ever gotten. I got a D in sophomore calculus because I took Wednesdays off and w missed the weekly quizzes. Are you sure this really happened to you? This totally it happened. It sounds like I, an anxiety dream. It, <laughs> like, I have this anxiety dream. I, I feel like I do, too, and I, I lived it. Oh One of the reasons I'm telling the story is just, it's just an obvious example of when I didn't try hard enough, right? And part of success is just trying to put forth an effort. But I think what I want to think about with respect to the effort is also something to do with both confidence and attention right? The reason why I didn't put the effort in is because it's not because I actually wanted a D in the class. I did not want a D in the class. I didn't put the effort in because I wasn't paying enough attention and because I was overconfident. Right. And so it seems to me that like effort is in this constant negotiation with these other things, like what are you paying attention to and how confident are you that how much effort do you think you need to put into it? None of us want to work harder than we need to. Right. We want to put forth the effort required to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Right. And so effort is always in this kind of internal conversation with our own assessment of what's required. I think I'm trying to raise some kind of question about the relationship of effort to will and intention, but also to confidence and attention. The story is interesting because you were choosing to not be effortful which I think is a reasonable choice, right? We can't try hard right. at everything. And so you were like, this is going to be something that's deprioritized. I already know a lot of the material. It's not like you said, I'm going to blow off the class. But you weren't yeah. planful enough, right? You didn't go the yeah. whole first week to find out about Quiz Wednesday or look close, closely enough at the syllabus to find that out, right? We all reach our capacity and, you know, where okay, I just can't get to this last list, but the the last list can't be your taxes, right? Yeah. Like there are places where you have to dig in and find the effort if you can. And so, yeah, it, it, it was a choiceful lack of effort and yet yeah. it was a poorly planned choice. Yeah, you're right. I think now you're clarifying for me why I thought this story might be interesting, which is that I didn't just sleep in every Wednesday morning because I had rough Tuesday nights, right? Right. I actually, after going to class for a couple of weeks, I thought, I only need to do this twice a week to do okay. Right. right? I made it. I said, the effort that this class requires is only two days of my presence rather than three. 
And that was a bad misjudgment, and it led to some consequences. But the the mistake was in the decision, not the willingness, I think. Right. Although they overlap a little bit because, obviously, like, I was I was not being a super diligent student at that moment if I was willing to just miss a third of, of the class meetings. Right. Matt, it is time for the 30-second recaps. Do you want to count me in? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to count you in. Yeah, do it. Three, two, one, go. Harry storms off and he's just so mad at Aunt Marge. And then he's like, oh, shoot, boy, am I in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble with the Ministry of Magic. I'm going to be expelled. And then he sees a dog and he lifts his wand to Lumos it. And the night bus shows up and the night bus is like, hello, we're going to take you anywhere that you need to go. And we meet Stan Shenpank and he's a very fun figure. And then they take him to uh, the Leaky Cauldron and the Minister of Magic is waiting for him there and is like, oh, Harry, you're not in trouble. Corruption, corruption. You should just stay here for the week. Is that, is that corruption? I wouldn't call that. Well, we can talk about that. The theme is not corruption, but I don't know if it's corruption. Sure. Not corruption. You're right. That was the wrong word. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Harry's all tired out because of all the effort he's putting forth. And he starts freaking out because he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm on the run. What am I going to do? And then he starts freaking out more because he sees a giant dog with eyes at at Magnolia Crescent. And he falls over and whips his arm out. And the night bus shows up. And uh, there's Stan and Ern. And they chat for a while. And they think he's Neville. And then uh, they show up at the Leaky Cauldron. And Cornelius Fudge is there. And Cornelius Fudge says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. No one's trying to kill you. Don't worry about it. He doesn't actually say that, but it's implied. And then Harry goes up to his room and Hedwig is there Hedwig is there that's the last detail the crucial detail we forgot good old Hedwig so Matt we we have to just deal with the fact that the word effort comes in this first sentence Harry was several streets away before he collapsed onto a low wall at Magnolia Crescent panting from the effort of dragging his trunk and I think that this speaks to one of the things about effort right? Which is that you can try and try until you literally collapse. And there's this idea, I think, I think more in America culturally than other cultures, but I know that this is very much true in other cultures, that effort is supposed to be this like bottomless pit that you're just always supposed to have more energy and the ability to try harder. And it's a really difficult idea to shake right? We're we're told, just put in your full effort. And what I love about this is that the chapter starts out by demonstrating to us that like effort isn't everything. You can't just try. Like that's not going to be the only thing that will solve this problem. Harry is too little to move this trunk by himself. Yeah. I think two things that makes me think of Vanessa. The first is that, I mean, this is not altogether clear from the text. To me, the way the beginning of this chapter reads is that it's almost he's several blocks away before he realizes how exhausted he is. So he's expending all this effort. He doesn't even know that it's taking out of him what it's taking out of him until he actually can't go any further. Because that's the other thing about, I think, that your comment is making me think of. It's not just that we have this sort of myth or sense that we can give our all to something, but that we sometimes believe it so deeply, so deeply in our bodies that we don't even notice that our body is being depleted while it's happening until we literally can't go any further, yeah. right? So that's, that's yeah, that's I think that's right. And I think that's, you know, it's not altogether clear from the first sentence of this text, but the rush and the urgency and the pace of that line makes it sound like he doesn't know he's exhausted until he can't move anymore. 
And that's a dangerous thing, right, with respect to effort. The other thing that your comment does is lead me to etymology corner. My favorite corner other than poos. (laughs) So the word effort comes from the Latin. The F part is from X, like out. It's an out prefix. And then the fort is the word for strength, fortis, right? So it's just to put your strength out of yourself, to get your strength out. But what's implied by getting your strength out is that it is not in, right? So there's actually something implied in the definition that if your strength is going out, then you are becoming depleted, right? There's no, there's no version of effort which does not imply a necessary restoration at some point. And what's really kind of almost heartbreaking about the beginning of this chapter is that Harry goes until he can't go anymore. He collapses exhausted. And it's in that moment when he collapses exhausted that his mind has time to imagine what his life will be like going forward. And that picture of sort of fugitive life is also so exhausting, right? Like it's it's a life of constant effort where he doesn't get any rest, where he's constantly, you know, on the run. It's a life that Sirius is leading now, sort of ironically, but you can just see like this, he's... He's empty. He has given all this physical strength out of himself. And now he realizes that what may come next for him is going to take all his mental and spiritual and emotional strength too. And he just doesn't know if he has it. And and it's totally understandable. And it's it's sad in these first moments, the fear that he feels and the exhaustion that that he feels in these initial moments of the chapter. Yeah, I mean, which speaks to right when you're exhausted, your thoughts become more negative, right? Mm. Like there are other solutions that he could come up with. And instead, right, he's catastrophizing, which is something that we all do when we don't have, you know, energy left. The thing that is beautiful about the magic of this book, but I think it's complicated, is that it is in his despair that he like waves this wand and the night bus appears. And I love that as an answer to magic, that like you are out of energy and you are depleted and lost And literally something comes out of nowhere to save you. And I think it's interesting (laughs) that then that thing that comes to save you costs money, right? It's not like it's some sort of like great social system (laughs) that comes. It's like when a despair level has been reached inside Wizards, a certain taxi service shows up to take care of you. But I do think that there's something beautiful about this magic, this idea that when you are completely down and out, there is a relatively cheap solution that is going to appear to you. That would be, that's a nice idea. Yeah, I mean, right, because it occurs to him when he's imagining this life on the run, oh, I can bewitch the trunk mm-hmm. and use a different kind of effort, right, which will be less exhausting. But there are rules in place, which he's already broken, kind of a, unwittingly or unintentionally. There's rules in place that prevent him from doing that. It makes me wonder about these rules about minors not using magic, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if Harry had just not been so disciplined by the rule not to just immediately bewitch his trunk, like he would have gotten a lot further, <laughs> right? And maybe not had this moment and probably not called the night bus accidentally, right? Like, I don't know. I just what is the what is the kind of the purpose behind the the wizarding laws to make sure that children use physical effort rather than magical effort until they come of age. Yeah. No, it's a really interesting question to me. I I don't necessarily have an answer for it, but I do know, right, that there are certain populations that we essentially want to say to them, well, 
it is important for some sort of reason that you put in a different kind of effort than other people, right? It is important that people who have the money to go to grocery stores can buy whatever they want and need and, you know, just put it on their credit card. But you, if you need EBT money, you actually have to stand in this other line first in order to get it, right? Like we put an added burden on people when they are in difficult moments already. We're saying you're in a difficult moment. What you actually have to do is expend more effort than normal. And right, like kids are one of the most disempowered groups of people that's just completely legally and culturally acceptable to disempower. And so, you know, there could be this argument of safety of they don't know how to use their magic, so they shouldn't. But there should be like this emergencies exception Right. That seems we'll find out in book five how there is an emergencies exception, except that the, you know, Wizengamot is quite corrupt about it, whatever. But I don't know. It feels like at the age of 11, like the school should sit you down in an orientation, which is sadly lacking from Hogwarts and be like, look, these are basic safety spells. Right. Like you can always say like Akio. Hogwarts owl and an owl will appear and you can always send us an owl like something. And this just points to the fact that there are there are seem to be very few social safety nets in the wizarding world. I'm actually even impressed by the night bus. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some kind of valuation of physical effort over magical effort, which it also makes me just think about sort of if effort is maybe effort's the wrong word for magic, but if effort is actually a a displacement of some force of some strength going out of you, that's really clear to us as muggles, to you and me as muggles, Vanessa. If I exert a lot of physical effort, I am going to be physically drained afterwards. Like, yeah. I, I'm not sure that magic works the same way. If you exert a lot of right. magical effort, are you magically drained afterwards? It seems like that's a replenishable resource. Yeah. In which case, I wonder if effort's the right language. And it, and it leads me to this interesting detail from the chapter, which is that it is so easy to summon the, the night bus that Harry does it accidentally. Right. Right? Like, he doesn't even, he's not even extending any effort, any deliberate or conscious effort. It's an accident as he's falling over. And then, like, this, his rescue, his knight in shining armor, <laughs> as it were, shows up mm-hmm. to rescue him without any effort. And, like... It makes me wonder, maybe effort is the wrong category through which to think about what magic is. Well, I think there are definitely kinds of magic that require a great deal of effort, right? We see that later in the books with apparition. Like you have to do the three Ds, destination, determination, and deliberation. But determination, right? Like that's about effort. But I love that the night bus, it seems to be this like (laughs) magical magic where like... It has to be a certain like desperate wave of the wand with a feeling attached to it. And something that I love about the night bus is that it comes when called, even if it's not in like location order, right? Like they were in Wales and Harry waved his wand and they go all the way to Surrey and pick him up. And then they're like, okay, back to Wales. And I love this idea. And obviously, this is much easier because of magic. They, like, jump whole, you know, kilometers at a time and whatever. This would drive me up the wall if I were in the bus. And I was like, we're two blocks from my house in Wales. Why? Why are we in Surrey? 
but that that our effort should go to the person who's in the most acute need, even if it doesn't make sense on a map, I think is a really nice idea mm. of this bewitched bus. When they programmed this bus, right? Like that was something they programmed in. And I like that. Yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Vanessa, where else do you see effort in this chapter? So I saw effort in a very funny place in this conversation between Harry and Cornelius Fudge. So Harry arrives at the Leaky Cauldron because he, like, doesn't know where else to go. And Cornelius Fudge is just waiting for him. Fudge is like, fix Aunt Marge. Don't worry about it. Talk to your aunt and uncle. They love you very, very deep down. I'm sure you love them, too. Everything is fine. Just stay here. And it Harry was prepared to put forth effort to defend himself as to why he shouldn't be expelled from Hogwarts, right? He's ready to be like, I didn't even mean to do it. I'm so sorry. And that effort is so not needed, right? Cornelius Fudge is like, and you'll start Hogwarts in a week after living in this inn for a week. And this innkeeper will keep an eye on you. Strange choices. But Right, like, there's just no mention of it. So much so that Harry almost starts to argue the flip side that he should get into trouble, right? And so it reminds me this moment of when you, like, go to push something that you assume is really heavy and it's light, so you fall, right? Or, like, a door you think is jammed, right? And that 
that's what it feels like Harry does, where he is so ready to put forth an effort for an argument because there isn't one. He starts arguing against his own interests. He's like, but I broke rules. And Fudge is like, do you want to be expelled? Yeah, right. He's like, no, 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 no. And so I think sometimes when we think something is supposed to be hard and it isn't, for us, it can be very disorienting. Yeah, Vanessa, I think those comments are really interesting and useful. And it actually helps me understand why I thought of the story for my sophomore year of college after reading this chapter. Because so much of the effort that is expended in this chapter is misplaced. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, yeah. it's put in the wrong place, which is what my story is about, right? So, like, like Harry believes that the that the Ministry of Magic is in pursuit to send him to Azkaban. Like, in his mind, in his poor little 13-year-old mind, he imagines that that the crime he has committed is the equal of the murder of 13 people and that he will go to ask about, right? And so he's expending all this mental effort, but also physical effort, like trying to run away with his trunk because he believes that that he is that he has to be on the run from the ministry. And But also, you know, when he shows up at the Leaky Cauldron, like it's a surprise to Cornelius Fudge. And I'm sure that many of the resources of the Ministry of Magic were out in the world searching for Harry Potter at the time. That's the implication we get. Right. And they were, right, they were looking in the wrong places, expending all this effort. Not to mention the fact that many of the resources of the Ministry of Magic are out looking for Sirius Black for the wrong reason. Yeah. People are working. They're literally, like, working themselves to the bone, collapsing like Harry is. I'm sure Cornelius is having late nights and working hard at all these (laughs) things, right? And it's all towards the wrong purpose. Which makes me think about, like, how... Because effort has a cost, as your initial read of the first line helped us see, it's really important that we use some judgment to think about where and how we ought to be expending our effort, right? Like I did that poorly in sophomore year, but even these folks who are well-intentioned and think they're well-informed and not as careless or irresponsible as I was when I was 19, right? Like they are also putting their efforts in the wrong way and wearing themselves out and leading themselves to make worse decisions because they're worn out, because their efforts are going in in the wrong place. Yeah. It's so interesting. The you know like our emotions go on high alert and therefore we think we need big reactions, right? I just heard this story the other day from one of my friends, one of her neighbor's cats went missing and they immediately put forth all the effort they could, right? They made signs, they put them up everywhere, they called the ASPCA, they called in the tag number, they did everything they could. And of course, it turns out that the cat had locked itself in a drawer, right? Like, and it, it was in the house, right? Like all all they need to do was open their drawers. Their other cat found the cat. And yeah, the cat is fine. But the cat was locked in the store for almost two days. And we did that once. We thought we lost my dog. And it turned out it was really hot out. And the dog had figured out that the garage was the coolest place and was hiding like under the car in the garage because it was cool in there. But we went out looking and screaming for the dog and he was like peacing out in the garage, right? And so I feel like sometimes our emergency mode gets tripwired and we think, okay, the best thing to do is to put in the most effort, right? Because like that is the only way I will have a clear conscience is if I know I scoured the earth for my cat. When really, like, what we need to do is pause, and it doesn't necessarily need to be, like, effortful in that painful way. Yeah. Matt, I only have one other thing on this theme, and that's just how happy 
it makes me to watch Harry have a week of being taken care of by Tom and, you know, Fudge. And he's just given this room and Hedwig is there. And it is the way that a 13-year-old should be saved. It's the way all of us should be saved from difficult situations, right? Like, you have, like, a catastrophically bad day. At the end, someone else should just be like, here's your room. It's clean. Here's your owl slash cat. Here's a meal. It's just so lovely to watch people take care of Harry and not watch him put in any effort after this long, hard day. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm really really glad because he's so maltreated at home. I'm really glad to see Harry get this treatment as well. And, you know, it's clear by the end of the chapter that Cornelius's concern and his sort of lax disciplinary response to Harry is based mostly on fear that Harry is being targeted to, to be murdered, right? So that kind of that kind of laxity is, is understandable. But part of me also wondered reading the chapter if there's just also a little bit of less like Harry's a celebrity a little bit, right? Like he's gonna, he's probably never gonna get punished. Like maybe the original letter was like a little bit harsh because he's a celebrity, but also the actual punishment might be less harsh because he's a celebrity. Everyone knows who Harry is. Just the reaction of Stan and Earn on the bus, right? And then that got me thinking more about Stan and Ern. I mean, one of the things that we see in this chapter that we don't see a lot in the Harry Potter series is a really obvious kind of class divide, right? Like Stan is written with, you know, what I'm reading as, I'm not from the UK, but what I'm reading as is meant to be a more working class accent, right? And he has a job as a, you know, a ticket collector on a bus. He has a, he's not working for the ministry. He's not a professor at Hogwarts. He has a working class job, Right. And it makes me wonder if folks like Ern and Stan ever get invited to to Hogwarts, right? Like, they, did they go to Hogwarts? Is there a class division that, you know, if the Hogwarts is the equivalent of a what they would call a public school in Britain or a, a private or a boarding school in the States, like, who doesn't get invited? And what does Everett have to do with any of that, right? I mean, Stan is working all night. <laughs> the night bus is, is an all-night not a very good job, and and Stan and Ern are, are working at it, juxtaposing that against, you know, the celebrity of Harry, his celebrity when he shows up on the bus, his access to the Minister of Magic. Like, it made me think about, in more sort of broader terms, about how other questions of class structure the wizarding world and what the relationship of effort is to the constraints of these social structures in the wizarding world. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so important to focus on. I just want to say, as far as Harry's celebrity, which I think that this is a much less potent point, but just maybe worth saying, his celebrity is sometimes helpful in these ways and sometimes harmful, right? Like Umbridge goes after him because of his celebrity, but also Dumbledore defends him because of his celebrity, right? Like the stakes of his whole life are just different. And then we have Stan, who's just out there working all night, and no one is pulling anything for Stan. That's right. Yeah. We talked about when we began recording book one, chapter one, Vanessa, that we wanted to try to bring a critical eye to these texts. And it just makes me think about where is the gaze of this novel? The gaze is not from the working class perspective, right? It's not from Stan and Ern's perspective. It's from the perspective of Hogwarts, which is a place, even in the wizarding world, invitation to which confers a lot of privilege. 
Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even the Weasleys, right, who are referred to yep. as poor again and again. Arthur works at the Ministry of Magic and like a right. not low-ranking job, right? He's not a janitor there. Right. Now it's time for us to share our sacred reading practice, and we are doing sacred imagination. Vanessa, do you have a passage that you would like to sacredly imagine with us? Yeah, so I'm going to read us a part from the night bus. Neville Longbottom, said Harry, saying the first name that came into his head. So, so this bus, he went on quickly, hoping to distract Stan. Did you say it goes anywhere? Yep, said Stan proudly, anywhere you like, long as it's on land. Can't do nothing underwater. Air, he said, looking suspicious. You flag us down, didn't ya? Stick out your wand, didn't ya? Yes, said Harry quickly. Listen, how much would it be to get to London? Eleven sickles, said Stan. But for 13, you get a hot chocolate, and for 15, you get a hot water bottle and a toothbrush in the color of your choice. Harry rummaged once more in his trunk extracted his money bag, and shoved some silver into Stan's hand. He and Stan then lifted his trunk, with Hedwig's cage balanced on top, up the steps of the bus. There were no seats. Instead, half a dozen brass bedsteads stood behind the curtained windows. Candles were burning in brackets besides each bed, illuminating wood-paneled walls. A tiny wizard in a nightcap at the rear of the bus muttered, "'Not now, thanks. I'm pickling some slugs,' and rolled over in his sleep." You have this one, Stan whispered, shoving Harry's trunk under the bed right behind the driver, who was sitting in an armchair in front of their steering wheel. This is our driver, Ernie Prang. This is Neville Longbottom, Ern. So Matt, what did this make you think of as I read it? One of the things I appreciate about sacred imagination is trying to explore senses that are not explicitly described by the text. Literary texts tend to describe what is visible and then less often described with the other senses sense. And so, like, I really try to pay attention to those things. And in this situation, what really stood out to me was, like, what wasn't there in terms of smell and sound. I'm a person that used to commute by bus a lot. I spent the last 10 years before we moved up here riding pretty long buses through rush hour back and forth from Cape Cod to to Boston. (laughs) And buses have a sound. They're loud. Like, diesel engines are loud, and they smell a particular way, right? Even fuel-efficient diesel engines or whatever. Like, it's just part of the bus experience is is that. And as soon as, like, I imagine myself, really try to imagine myself in the situation and imagine myself boarding this bus, what I noticed was it smelled like hot chocolate and not diesel fumes. And mm. that there wasn't, like, that rumble. Like, it's like, I know that this is a jarring ride. Like, it's not comfortable. People are bounced around and it moves really fast. But, like, that kind of low noise rumble that's always in the background on a bus like that's not there and i just it was just like oh my gosh what a lovely way to ride a bus where there's no noise (laughs) and you have hot chocolate smell instead of diesel that's that's nice god to me it smelled so bad it smelled like all these bodies (laughs) that like have been they've been on there so long they're asleep in beds like door and bedroom? I, and like, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's gross now. That's gross. I get motion sick. And so this whole bus ride, I'm like, oh, my God, who would want hot chocolate? Maybe the toothbrush. Thank you. So to me, it felt just like chaotic 
And the other feeling was this feeling of they put Harry in the front next Mm. to the driver. And I think that that is most likely very sweet because Harry's a child, right? And so they're like, you stay up here close to us, like the adults, even though, you know, we know that Stan's only a few years older, but that makes a big difference at that age. And I just know that as a chronically introverted person, I would hate that. I'd be like, no, no, no. Is there a spot way in the back where no one is going to, you know, pay any attention to me or talk to me? And so it felt extra crammed to me. Like these beds are rolling around. I'm imagining the hot chocolate sloshing. Like there's just like no way that this is like a good idea of hot chocolate. There are candles and they're making me sit up front. And so like I'm imagining this is like sweltering and uncomfortable. And it is a different kind of awful when it is sweltering and uncomfortable and people are trying to be hospitable than when it's sweltering and uncomfortable and you're like alone and can be grouchy about it. And I'm not saying one is better than the other because it's nice that Stan and Ern are yeah. so nice. Yeah. But like also having to perform that gratitude, it just like adds a level of complexity to how oppressive I would find the situation. Yeah. I don't think it's right or wrong. I just had a very different impression in my imagination, right? Which is that, obviously, I imagine, like, instead of musty dorm room, I smelled hot chocolate on the bus, right? <laughs> obviously, I'm going into, it as a, going into it with a positive spin. But even Stan, it just seemed like Harry seems so alone. Like, the only wizarding world he's ever known is the one associated with Hogwarts. And he believes he has to give that up. And the emergence of the night bus and these folks who maybe don't have a strong affiliation with Hogwarts, like nobody at Hogwarts stalks like Stan, right? Right. And, you know, I'm not saying that Harry trusts him because he gives a false name, but it's almost like he realizes, oh, there are other folks out here and they're friendly. And maybe I could make a way. Maybe this is possible. Maybe this thing that I was terrified of, it's still scary, but... There are there are supports here and there are people who will be kind to me, even if they don't know I'm Harry Potter. Like I I read, um, even though I'm also an introvert, like when you said I want to go to the back to the back of the bus and find a place where no one would bother me, I totally identify with that. But for some reason, like as a fly in the wall in this scene, what I imagined was Harry feeling like a little bit like what he needed is a is another person to say to him, You're okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And even in this indirect way under a f- assumed identity, Stan is kind of saying that to him and it you know we'll get to blessings later but it just made me it made me find stan really like endearing and likable in the scene and also made me really sad for what happens to stan later on in the series because it seems like at that moment what harry needed was to just not feel so alone and and a bus shows up with a really friendly guy who doesn't need him to be a celebrity to be really kind to him (laughs) right and and yeah that's that's kind of what what I was feeling. And maybe that's why, because I was feeling that already, maybe that's why it smelled like hot chocolate rather than, yeah. <laughs> than, than dorm room. <laughs> B.O. I mean, what that reminds me of, Matt, is that feeling when you're traveling internationally and you meet someone like from America and it's like, oh my God, we're basically best friends and neighbors. <laughs> that's right. Right? That's right. It's like <laughs> you meet someone from 
like anything that you could have <laughs> right. in common with that person, you're like, oh, it's like we're siblings. I know. And just like the further you're from Michigan, you get I'm from, from Vermont. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> and they're like, they, yes, that's great. <laughs> they both have vowels in there. No, different <laughs> vowels. <laughs> <laughs> so just like the further away you are from home, the more tenuous human connections can feel meaningful. And so yeah. even though Stan is like, God, Neville, you haven't even heard about that. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just feels so good to hear someone say daily prophet and wizard and galleon and knut instead of, you know, pound. Like yeah. those familiar words just sound so nice. That you could be like, yes, Stan, I let I you are from Texas and I am from Calgary and we are basically the same person. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. And it and really does just kind of uh, this whole other world of of wizarding life emerges, right? That's there are some folks who travel on the Hogwarts Express, there are other folks who travel on the night bus. And I'm just who who are those folks? It's like this whole other world. And it's just this the richness of this world is being opened up to Harry in a way when he really needs the world to feel richer than it does in that moment yeah well thanks for doing the sacred imagination matt thanks for a great passage vanessa this week's episode of harry potter and the sacred text is brought to you by redfin let's say for some reason you can't get back to grim old place so you need to find a new home if you're like me you would go to redfin Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Anna, and I just want to let everybody know that Anna is going to be talking about a miscarriage in her voice memo. So if that is something that you would like to skip, feel free to fast forward about two minutes. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. 
My name is Anna and I live in France. I just finished listening to your episode on chapter 16 of book two on the theme of yearning. You talked about how nobody thought to ask Moaning Myrtle about her death and how she yearned to tell what happened to her, and it made me think. Last October, I had a miscarriage. It was the very beginning of the pregnancy, so very few people knew. I told these people right away because I didn't want them to ask me questions about a pregnancy that no longer existed. And I added that I didn't want to talk about it, and they respected that. But now, three months later, I'm a bit stuck in that silence that I created around me. I now feel the need to talk about what happened to me, but it feels irrelevant, like it's too late. I wonder if people asked questions to Moaning Myrtle just after her death, and if her answer was just the same as me. I don't want to talk about it now. But what if time passed, and her needs changed, but nobody asked again and she had to carry that weight by herself for 50 years? So I would like to bless Moaning Myrtle, and anybody who feels stuck in telling their story for fear of not being understood or heard. Your story matters and you have the right to tell it whenever it feels relevant to you. Thanks for all the work you're doing with the podcast. Bye. Anna, thank you so much for that beautiful voicemail. I'm really sorry for your loss. And I just, I take your point so strongly. We as a culture are just so bad at talking about things and there are structures in place to make that still true right it should be that we all feel empowered to say I don't want to talk about this yet but I want to reserve the right to talk about it you know in five years and then we get to and for some reason I agree with you there are just these these social barriers to it I I hope that your friends are the kind of people who you can bring this up to now and say, I would like to talk about it now. And we'll listen. I would imagine that they would love the opportunity to take care of you in this moment. Yeah, Anna, thank you for your voice memo, which really was beautiful. And I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. One of the things that reminds me is just to, that it's always okay to ask gently, right? Or to say like, you know, if you do ever want to talk, even later on at a later point, it reminds me as a friend to, to know that what may seem like a time has passed for me has not passed for others. I remember just from being a pastor, often people who I talk with, counseling them for, for grief or whatever, they, they often say in the first two weeks after their loved one died, there were lots of people around providing support. But six months later, in many ways, the, the pain is just as acute, but the, the world has moved on and they feel like they don't have those resources. But in most cases, all those friends are willing to be resources still. And, and so just remind your not to you, Anna, but to those of us who are friends, to others who have experienced loss recently, to remember that you can always reach out and say, you know, how are you doing? And if you need to talk, I'm still always here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anna. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Grandpa John, who was 89 and a lover of the outdoors. Marge Massey, who was 79, a mother, grandmother, and a heart for empathy. Julie Wytek, who was 59 and a loving mom of three.
Glenda Lanier, who is 75, a mother, a pianist, a Christian, and a friend. Dominic Bouch, who is 61, an uncle, fisherman, and card player. And Kevin O'Regan, who is 89, joyous and a generous grandfather of six. May all of their memories be a blessing. Matt, it's now time for us to offer our own blessings. Who would you like to bless this week? Vanessa, I'd like to bless Stan. As as I mentioned in the Sacred Imagination, I think that he seems just like a warm person and a generally friendly person who is as kind to Neville Longbottom as he would have been to Harry Potter. It seems that that doesn't make a difference to Stan. He's just a kind guy. And, you know, we know later on in the series, Stan is imperious and gets caught up on the wrong side of uh, the war. And it's just a, a shame. And it's a tragic thing that happens to this kind person who, on my reading anyway, kind of is exactly what Harry needs in that moment. So blessings for Stan. Vanessa, what about you? Who are you blessing this week? I want to bless Harry. He is in a much worse situation than I have ever been in. But I have been in situations that emotionally feel as bad as this, where like your car breaks down and it's raining and, you know, your cell phone's dead, right? Where you like just feel absolutely hopeless and that hopelessness can turn into a feeling of despair and catastrophizing quite quickly. And so I just want to offer a blessing to Harry. I feel like we all do that. And in this time of almost two years of COVID restrictions, I think we are all feeling more and more isolated and just have less access to the possibility of the stands of the world to sort of break through those moments. So a blessing for Harry. Vanessa, next week we'll be reading The Leaky Cauldron, chapter four of book three, through the theme of home with the wonderful and amazing Jolie Doggett. We love Jolie. We just have a few announcements before we give our thanks. We still have some spots left on our Winnie the Pooh virtual pilgrimage. You can find out more about that at readingandwalkingwith.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by 8Cast. Thanks this week to Anna for her really touching and beautiful voice memo, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who send in the names of your loved ones who have been lost this week. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Wait, did you take Wednesdays off? I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> no, I did not take Wednesdays off of that class. I was I, the other thing is, one, I just one of only two women in that class. 
I thought I was so smart. I was just like, this yeah. is going to be great. I have gamed this system. I, I have figured out a way to get myself a little bit extra me time. <laughs> it's not what happened. <laughs>